This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I'm your host, PWI senior writer Al Castle, uh, joined once again by my co-host, Brian Solomon. How's it going? Uh, pretty good. I'm, I'm doing better than Eddie Kingston, I guess. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I think it's a pretty low standard for, for doing <laughs> I don't know. well. Seemed like he was dead or something. <laughs> yeah, I gotta say th- there are weeks where, where frankly, sometimes doing this podcast, I don't want to say it's a chore, but you got to kind of squeeze it in. It's like this responsibility that uh, kind of gets in your way, and then there's other days that you're just chomping at the bit, and and that's today. I was from when I woke up this morning, I was anxious to talk uh, to you about uh, the show AW Revolution last night. That's what we're going to be talking about, um, and there's a lot to say. Maybe. Not for for all the right reasons, but uh, probably a more newsworthy show for again for the wrong reasons than than it would have been uh, otherwise. Uh, even though by a lot of measures it was a really strong show, but uh, probably will be remembered most for that uh, climactic or anticlimactic ending. And uh, we'll talk all about that in a bit, and also talk about kind of um, the, the the history of the sort of ultraviolet matches, explosion matches, fire matches. I know, Brian, you, you know quite a bit about them and have been uh, kind of doing your research and homework for your book uh, about the Sheik. So we'll talk a bit about that and, and what, if any, role uh, they have and should have in pro wrestling in uh, 2021. But first, let me tell you about the latest issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated magazine. It is the return of Supercards, um, which is a lot of fun. It was a staple of the magazines for many years in the uh, 80s and 90s, where we would highlight uh, a bunch of major shows that took place in a certain period. And uh, it, we're doing that again here with uh, the Royal Rumble, New Year Smash from AEW, uh, Hard to Kill from Impact, uh, Wrestle Kingdom, New Japan, and uh, a lot more. Triple Mania and, and a bunch of cards. Lots of uh, great photos, uh, results, coverage. Um, again, and kind of a throwback to something we haven't done in a long time. So you'll definitely want to check this issue out. Uh, available now at pwi-online.com. You can pick up the one issue or subscribe. The longer you subscribe, the deeper the savings. And you could uh, subscribe either to the print edition, have it delivered to your mailbox um, and actually have the magazine in your hands. Uh, or if you want it faster, more convenient, you could get the digital edition and get it weeks before it is uh, released on newsstands. Uh, either way, big, big savings if you subscribe. And the thing to do is go to pwi-online dot com uh what else uh follow us on social media at official pwi on twitter and instagram we're also on youtube we also have a line of t-shirts at pro wrestling tees uh, a lot of fun check those out we're adding some designs uh all the time what else uh send us an email here if i'm rushing it's because i'm so anxious to talk about <laughs> this uh brian uh but you can send us an email at pwi at capitalpublishing.com uh, or PWI podcast at outlook.com. All right. I think that's a lot of the way now, and we can talk about the fun stuff. So, uh, okay. So, watching the show uh, last night, uh, ended up keeping the kids up late just because it was such a spectacle. How often do you have a exploding barbed wire uh, match? And, uh, you know, my kid starts to nod off. And then as, as it starts ticking down, I'm like, wake up, you got to see this. And it's 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And then, you know, some sparklers go off. It's just a, a complete dud. And it is the talk of the wrestling world. Uh, again, uh, uh, probably not for the reasons that AEW wanted. First, I'll just ask you for, for your reactions. And, and what, do you, what do you think happened? Did, did, was that what it was supposed to be? Or do you think something went wrong? Um, well, first of all, I want to say I think they were probably more Roman candles than sparkles. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll give them that at least. I don't know. I mean, because I was talking about it with my friends last night when we watched it and we started thinking about it. I mean, they had to do a run through, I would imagine. They had to know exactly what was going to happen and be like, yeah, yeah, you know what? That's really cool. Let's let's do that. And so I, I'm only and, and I'm not buying this whole thing where now they're trying to save face and and like build it into the storyline that you know kenny like screwed it up he doesn't know how to build an exploding ring or whatever the hell there's no way that that was the story they were trying to tell 
No, he's so spin, I, and, and that's fine. I mean, I think that's what they got to do at this point, right? I mean, you got to work with what you have, and and they're they're trying to spin it. Yeah, and I, but I think that you know the biggest flaw in that in that argument is Eddie Kingston. You know, yeah, yeah he sold it <laughs> if, like he was dead. Yeah. If that really was the plan, then why is he selling it like that? I really. I think they were just kind of naive. I really didn't think it was that that I really think they didn't think it was going to get that negative of a reaction. I think they were maybe hoping that however they were planning to shoot it or God knows what, that it would have come off better. Um, maybe, I don't know, you know, I don't want to blame people, but maybe the announcers could have uh, somehow spun it in a way like even in the moment that would have made it work but again the eddie kingston thing is and again it's not the guy was just doing his job he was doing yeah <laughs> doing and, and also from, from his uh, uh vantage point uh, he probably wasn't aware of how bad it looked right i mean he's he's right. lying there covering his face uh you know but but either way yeah he was doing his job uh i i agree i don't you know i the spin is that it was a dud. Uh, I don't. It, it was a dud. I mean, in the sense that it looked pretty bad. But I I don't think something went wrong, right? I I, I think that yeah. that's what it was supposed to be, and they just miscalculated uh, how um, how it would play. And you know, we we could dissect this from a million different angles. One thing that I thought about uh, that we've talked about a lot here. Uh, on the podcast in kind of like uh, talking about pandemic wrestling is that you'd think that they would have been able to cover this up uh, pretty easily. And and one thing that, that WWE has been good at doing over the years, and I think back to like, you know, the Undertaker shooting lightning bolts and stuff like that. Um, you only see that on TV. If you're in the arena, you, you don't see the lightning bolts. You'll see maybe the explosion in the ring, but, but that's all uh, digital effects. Um, you think they'd be able to cover this up somehow, you know, whether it was at the very least, I don't know why they didn't. Um, and this is all, you know, uh, armchair quarterback, right? You know, um, hindsight being 2020, all that stuff. Uh, they could have just inserted a louder bang, right? I mean, it sounded like <laughs> just a firecracker going off. There, there right. was nothing to it. Uh, and yeah, again, it, it, it's easy to look back, but but a couple of things come to mind. There just needs to be more smoke, right? Uh, I think that was probably yeah, the most important you, ingredient was just to cover up the ring, right? So right, then you wouldn't have seen what was going on, and that 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 would have helped. But the fact is, you just had a clear view yes. of the ring with nothing, even whatever fireworks there were weren't even close to these guys. It no, was like no. it just looked like a celebration at the end of the match or something. It, it, it's literally less than, than you see in a lot of wrestlers entrances. Right. I mean, right. It, it, it was kind of along the line. It reminded me of like uh, the, the DX uh, intro or the Shawn Michaels intro with the pyro going off behind him. And I'm talking like mid nineties, early nineties, uh, WWF, the old opening, you know, the pyro opening of raw would have been more impressive that Much, level. Yeah. Yeah. And if you ever sat like uh, uh, near the ramp for yeah. one of those, it's really loud and you do feel the heat. So, right, even relative to just res regular wrestling pyro, this was such a letdown. So I get um, the feeling they were struggling with um, fire code stuff. I could see that. Yeah, they probably were up against it with that, which is, you know, certain things like um, I don't know if, you know, having the referee wearing like a hazmat suit, if that was just for the visual of it or if, if, I think or, it was. or if it was required, whatever it was. I feel like there were restrictions that probably were related to that. Like, I don't think Atsushi Onita had to really worry about fire marshals. And <laughs> I think he was just doing, I mean, those guys were lucky that they didn't die and some of them almost did, you know? I spent a lot of my morning watching uh, some of those. I want to talk to you about them in, in a minute. And it, those were insane. And I yeah. certainly would not advocate for anything near that. Uh, but they were really impressive. I mean, in terms of like hyping something up and delivering it when, you know, in those matches, when they were talking about an exploding ring, oh boy, did you get an exploding ring? But again, I mean, there, there's, I think a lot of space in between that and, and this, and um, it's, it's really too bad because I thought th throughout this whole show, there was so much of uh, the presentation that looked so major league in a really good way. 
Uh, and I thought they did some things from a production sam- standpoint, from a presentation standpoint, better even than WWE does it. Uh, and then, but what everybody's going to remember at the end was was uh, something that was just so low rent Bush League. Um, and I know, you know, Vince, not that Vince McMahon is watching AEW, but folks at, at WWE had to be just laughing and thinking, oh. like, we would never let that happen. And, and honestly, I mean, you just look at what WWE's done with, like, pyro matches and stuff like that. Um, they do do a, a much better job uh, of this kind of thing. But, yeah, I heard somebody, you know, raise the possibility whether there was a, a, a COVID factor related here that do you do you want to do something that would have created so much smoke that you'd have fans coughing? And, and so, yeah, I mean, again, some – well, so it wasn't just a show. It was a, it was it, it marred a great show. It even marred a great match. I thought the match itself was great. It was amazing, really intense. I mean, I, I'm watching it with my teenage son, who is really just kind of used to the very sanitized WWE product that he grew up with, and he's just like, "Oh my god, Dad!" Like, like you know, I felt like he was old enough to handle it, but he was just like, "Wow, I've, what is this? Like, I've never seen anybody do anything like this." It was really intense. You know, I don't have I, I mean, I know some people have problems with blood and wrestling. I'm not one of those people. I think it has a place. But this the finish. It's, it's a real shame. The finish is all anyone is ever going to want to talk about, because you're talking about this is like the new Shockmaster. Like, yes. like 20 years from now, they're still going to be laughing and talking about this. What, what is the last fail that was this epic? I mean, we, we there have been a lot of things that are eye rolling. Um, Titus O'Neil going under the ring is a good one, but it's not even yes. close to this. This is worse. This is worse <laughs> than that, worse. right? Yeah. Much you worse. know, that said, right, I have gone back, I don't know if you have, and, and looked at this video again. And part of me feel, you know, my initial reaction, like everybody else's, was like, wow, that was awful. I can, now looking back on it, I can see how sort of um, in an empty arena setting without fans doing a dry run where it might have looked good enough. Uh, you know, because that that last big charge that goes up is something. It's it's uh, bigger than what you saw throughout the match and in, in the smaller explosions, which I thought looked really good throughout. Uh, but it just, you know, I, I actually think a little bit of tweaking would have gone a, a long way. And it looks like the, the charges were mostly on uh, the corners. And, and uh, as, as we just touched on, the problems was that when they went off, the clouds of smoke were only in the corners and it left the whole middle uh, part of the ring uncovered. If the, just with some along the middle that would have shot off enough smoke to cover up the ring, that would have gone a long way, as would have just a uh, uh, a bang, even if it was just uh, uh, dubbed in a loud explosion sound. So I actually think that a little bit of tweaking would have made all the difference. Yeah, and I'm not trying to sound barbaric like I, I, I wanted somebody to get hurt or something, but I think one of the things that hurt it was that it all was so far away from them. I mean, the one yeah. outside the ring would have been, I think if that was at the level of where the ropes were, that would have been pretty cool, I think. Even just that alone, it, it still would have felt a little light, but it wouldn't have been like where you're just rolling on the floor laughing. Like it was, that would have been better. But you know, it's one of those things. It's like I'm sure they didn't want anybody to get hurt, and that's part of it too. And they're, you know, kind of worried about that sort of thing. And the, my only my take on that is, look, either you do it or you don't do it. If if you're that worried, I understand the concern. Don't do a match like this or yes. don't have a stipulation where the ring's going to explode in a half hour. You know, either commit to it or don't. But don't like half ass it like this is what I mean. Yeah. Another thing that I think in, in retrospect was a, a big mistake um, was leaving and understanding it's outside. But I still think they could have done this right. Turning the lights out. So so going dark for the explosion right so um that would have probably covered a lot of it up too if, if you're th- think of a uh a cane entrance right i mean it goes all black and all you see is the the pyro shoot up if if you could see nothing but a charge and then smoke coming up that would have helped but the the arena stayed lit as the explosion went off and um that hurt a lot so uh yeah really embarrassing you feel for them uh i do want to talk about the match uh I hated. I don't. I don't remember where you were on it. I hated uh, the the first Omega 
uh, Moxley match, the, the lights out match from about a, a year and a half ago. And one of my least favorite matches of that year, my problem with that was that it was just sold as kind of a, a grudge match, a street fight. You know, we hate each other, so we're going to go in there and just beat the hell out of each other. And it became this really convoluted uh, gimmick match with the board, with the barbed wire and all that. So I had a big problem with that. I did not have a problem with this, in part because I think they did a good job of um, explaining the history of this kind of match, that that this is a stipulation that that exists, that has some history, that nobody's called on for a while. And this rivalry between these two men, I think, kind of fit. It, it was um, kind of like calling each other's man card out and seeing who had the bigger cojones to to um, put themselves in in a match like this. And they showed uh, Onita in, in in the the hype for this. So, and the as violent and gruesome as it got sometimes, and I actually didn't think it, it got all that bad. Um, it it was the stipulation, so it wasn't like, you know, I I, I hate like the 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 WWE kind of uh, gimmick matches where they go under the ring and they come out the sledgehammer, they go under the ring and they come out with whatever uh, a bat or uh, the Singapore cane. The the gore and the the violence and the weapons that you saw in this match were all part of the match. I mean, that was what it was sold on, and they delivered on that. So. Um, I, I thought it was fine. I thought that it hit a sweet spot of gore and violence um, that added to the match, but it never got, for me, to the point where it was uncomfortable um, to watch. And, um, you know, most impressive, I think that they were able to actually tell a story and uh, deliver on some psychology. I love the spots where, because the, the explosion on its own is a tough sell because it's the idea that it's going to like blow your limbs off or something. I mean, clearly it's not strong enough for any of that, but the way that they sold it is that they would be blinded by it, you know? And I thought that was really smart or, or the spot where um, Omega was about to pin Moxley and he puts his leg on the ropes and that uh, made the charge go off and it, it, it threw Omega back and blinded him. I loved all that stuff. I thought it was, and I thought the explosions, in the match, uh, uh, in the ropes were really good and they really yeah. delivered. They looked painful. They were, um, a real spectacle. So yeah, everything was working, uh, up until the end and not just the, the dud of the uh, explosion, but it, it just kind of felt like it, it fell apart a little bit at the end. Uh, maybe the timing was wrong. There was too much time in between the pinfall and the countdown and the explosion where everybody just seemed to be kind of trying to you know, fill time and it dragged on. So uh, a really good match that seemed to fall apart toward the end uh, for a number of reasons. Yeah. And, and uh, it, it is like we said, what everyone is going to remember about this show. Meanwhile, I mean, you had a great main event and you had in, in my opinion, my new favorite cinematic match, I have to say, mm-hmm. I, I loved it. I mean, I could have done without the live commentary. I thought that was weird during a match like that, but but the actual match, I thought, was the best I've seen. I mean, it was like it was like watching um, a movie. I mean, it was it was like watching an action scene in a movie. And the opening tag match with the Young Bucks, great opener, amazing opener. Um, but again, we're just always going to talk about yeah. that, bro. That is it. Yeah. Like, does anybody else remember what other matches were on the Clash of Champions <laughs> when the Shockmaster came out? They don't, okay? And and I can tell you I can't even think of it. And I probably just watched it a few months ago because I've been watching them on the network. And I don't – I have no idea, but that's what I remember. You know what, what came to my mind when I saw it as soon as it happened was um, Chamber of Horrors. Remember the Chamber of Horrors? Uh, yes. Halloween the, Havoc 91. <laughs> is that, that's Abdul the Butcher in the in the electric chair, right? Yeah, yeah. And, it, you know, and again, maybe there was a lesson to be learned there. It's like whenever you kind of get too gimmicky and, and it gets away from – the performance and the creativity and the wrestlers and and now you're counting on just all these different things going right. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe there's a lesson to be learned there about keep it simple. Um, you know, um, I, I, and I want to get back to, to again, uh, uh, violent matches. Uh, but I did want to talk about a couple things. One, the, the cinematic match. I really liked it too. Um, I like that, that AW is uh, not above being influenced by something else, learning from it, and then improving on it. I mean, I, I don't think this match happens without the Boneyard match, right? And and not that, that there hasn't been a history of cinematic matches 
Um, and, and other ones since then, before then, all the Matt Hardy stuff. But this felt very much influenced by the Boneyard, the way they presented it, the style. Uh, but I actually think in a lot of ways it was better than that. Uh, just in terms of presentation, I thought it was, it was shot so well. I thought uh, uh, the music, uh, the presentation, the lighting, it, it had a great, great feel. And um, it, it, it was a, a good balance between hiding Sting's limitations, but also showing how much he can do. So it, it wasn't, I remember seeing uh, Hulk Hogan versus Sting. It might have been Hogan's very last match. And um uh, uh, Bound for Glory 2012, I think, something like that. 2011, I was there. Yes. I was there too, yeah. Yes. And, um, you know, it was just every smoke and mirror. And, and to to his uh, credit, he actually took a couple bumps, uh, Hulk Hogan, but it was clearly a match that was crafted to around a wrestler's limitations. And mm. um, watching this, it didn't feel that way that much. I mean, I think that's ultimately what part of why they did do it this way. But Sting looked great, right? I mean, I, what he did looked awesome. Some people were speculating that he may have had a stunt double. I don't That's know what, interesting. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I mean, I wasn't thinking of it, and there was nothing that struck me. I'm thinking about it logically, that it seems like it 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 may be possible, especially when they have the ability to do it. Some like people Kiss that, meets the Phantom oh, of the Park. Well, some people noticed like in certain parts that he just his body looked different. I don't know. But but um, I think I mean, who knows? I mean, I, I'll have to watch it again and see if I can figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you know, I hadn't even thought about the commentary thing. But you're right. I mean, I think that took away from it because it's like it becomes like a, a mystery science theater thing. It's like you're watching a movie and then you have people in in real time commentating over it. It didn't work. It, w- it would it would take you out of it and make you laugh at points when you weren't supposed to be laughing like like, um, you know, Sting and Darby Allen are having this dramatic arrival at the warehouse. It's like it's all intense. And all of a sudden, Taz is just like, all right, enough already. When are they going to get there? You know, <laughs> yeah. And it, and it spoiled it, you know. Yeah. But so nothing happy. about this match. And, and I think um, th- there were other points throughout the show where I thought this, too. I mean, the the contrast in the way. Um, WWE presents new talent, young talent, uh, as compared to, to uh, WWE. And you, you've got Sting, who is a legend and a huge attraction, a big name, uh, back on pay-per-view the first time in many years. Um, and what do they do with him? They put him in there with Darby Allin, you know, Brian Cage, and uh, uh, Ricky Starks, who was on you know NWA Wrestling <laughs> you know, le- less than a year ago. Uh, that's how you elevate guys, right? I mean, that that's it. I mean, that that's how you get rub out of a star. Um, and there are other places too. I mean, you think about that that ladder match where, and we'll talk about Christian Cage in a moment. But th- there was a, a build up to who that mystery um, participant was, and uh, it was Ethan Page who. WWE would have never done that, right? Because the assumption would be nobody's heard of this guy, and uh, he he's a wrestler who gotten you know most of his tv time uh on impact which has a relatively small audience but has built a reputation for being a really good uh a wrestler and a performer and a good talker and aw uh acknowledges that i mean it's, it's like what they've done with thunder rosa you know for for people who are in this world they know who thunder rosa is and rosa is and uh why she has a good reputation but mainstream fans don't but aw um creates that credibility they get they give you that credibility by acknowledging that like yes whether people don't know you or not we're saying you're a big deal and it makes them a big deal so uh, i thought that was great throughout the night wwe yeah they have this kind of and and i have to say i don't always disagree with it either maybe it's because i work there and i have i've been brainwashed but they have this um this whole mentality where they have to rebuild and reinvent everything and you know nobody cares if it wasn't there nobody knows about it and AEW, they they do have more of a sense of like this shared universe, you know, that pro wrestling, yeah. pro wrestling, which is sort of like it, it's kind of similar to, to the attitude WCW used to have too. Uh, and and I don't know. I mean, in some cases, I think WWE is right to do that because they kind of know their audience, and a lot of their audience are like are are pretty casual and 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 may not know who the person is. But but of course, obviously they take it too far a lot of the time where they wind up 
watering down or ruining whatever appeal or value the talent may have even had where you where you have to even ask yourself why did they bother signing this person if they weren't going to you know like capitalize on them yeah but sort of selective in how they do it i mean we we talked in the last uh, podcast about uh bad bunny who among wrestling fans a lot of them you and i included i think uh we're not that familiar with who the guy is but they're telling you this guy's got credibility. He is a star. So they'll do that for a bad bunny. Um, or even you think about like Kane Velasquez when when he came out uh, a couple of years ago. Most WWE fans probably had no idea who Kane Velasquez is or or Tyson Fury. Uh, and so these guys, it's like they, they kind of go gaga over that they are, you know, quote unquote, mainstream celebrities. But uh, like a ricochet or something like that, it's like they go running from the hills from the reputation that that he's built for years and years. It's like they'll they'll accept your reputation and your credibility from all these other genres, but not the one that they're in, not from pro wrestling. You know, there will they will always be marks for those those mainstream kind of people and fall over themselves for them. And it's sort of like a traditional thing in wrestling where you get like these, these, you know, mainstream sports celebrities come in and look by and large wrestling fans historically do not seem to be really big sports fans in general. And it seems like they'll bring these people out and half the audience is like, who the heck is this guy? And they're, pres- but in reality to, to they're, they're probably bigger star than anyone in the company. It's just wrestling fans are sometimes a little more insulated but yeah, there, there, there's sort of like a little bit of this self-loathing <laughs> within WWE yeah. where it's like, you know, people always talk about it with Kevin Dunn or with Vince McMahon where it's like they're in wrestling, but part of them like hates wrestling. And if it's something that's like too wrestling, there's something in their head telling them like, this is lame, this sucks. You know, we have to like, like change it and make it cool. Um, it's just something that, that they, I really, I gave up on wishing that they would shake that out. <laughs> But because it's been like, you know, almost my entire life. But, you know, I for, I don't think Triple H has that attitude. So you no. know, maybe eventually that would change where, you know, you, you'd be able to actually treat wrestling like you actually think it's really cool. Yeah. And, and, and uh, I think it's a good point because NXT has always been the exception to that. And whenever you've seen debuts NXT of, of wrestlers who come in with a reputation um, from uh, another promotion, they absolutely get the star treatment. I mean, whether it was Adam Cole debuting on, on NXT TakeOver in Brooklyn and uh, the pop that he got, or Ricochet, or or just about anybody who's debuted in in, um, in NXT. It's like, over there, they, they don't run from that. And in WWE uh, proper, uh, they always do. And I think they'd be surprised, you know, if... Ethan Page isn't probably the greatest example, uh, but if you put Ethan Page uh, on TV, even on Raw or SmackDown, you might be surprised how many people actually know who the guy uh, is. You know, the, the one that comes to mind that where they did do it and it it paid off really well was debuting AJ Styles at the Royal Rumble a couple years ago. And granted, AJ was on, on a different level, but um, I bet Vince McMahon was very surprised by the reaction that that AJ got that night, because in his mind, he, he was like, oh, nobody knows who this guy is. Um, and, you know, the, yes, a, a big percentage of WWE fans are just WWE fans and and don't follow um, other wrestling promotions, but they'd be surprised. I mean, how many uh, I think they'd be surprised how many fans actually do follow other promotions and, and would know some of these guys. Um, the, the other big debut uh, last night, uh, Christian Cage. This one got a little bit mixed reviews in part because uh, there was a lot of hype, a lot of buildup. You know, they talked about a, a Hall of Fame, a little cute with their word, a Hall of Fame worthy talent. Um, I don't know any Hall of Fame that that uh, Christian's in, I don't think. I mean, he's not, no. I don't think he's in the Observer Hall of Fame. He's certainly not WWE Hall of Fame. Um, so, again, maybe technically accurate, but it, uh, some folks did feel that uh, just because of the hype, it was a little bit of a letdown. Um, and and the other part of it, you know, we just talked about in the last episode, coming off of the Paul White signing, another XWWE star pushing 50 years old. Uh, uh, what are your thoughts on, on Christian Cage signing with AEW? Well, I'm going to be true to my word. And last time we talked about this, I said if it started to get out of hand, I would call it out. And I think it's starting to get out of hand because mm-hmm. um, it's they're starting to 
run the risk of the TNA syndrome for sure. And uh, I think they have to be careful of that because you get a lot of people that will become frustrated, you know, that they're that they're doing things like that. And then they have people in their company that are not getting enough of a push or for crying out loud like that, that they haven't even signed that that are amazing on the show when they use them. Um, and, and so, especially if you're going to do it for people, I think that's what did it for me too. Like, all right, if they brought in Brock Lesnar, I would be like, well, of course they'd be stupid not to do that. Or if it was CM Punk or something, that's, that's like game changing stuff, you know, but if you're going to do it and I hate to be mean, but for Christian, I'm sorry, it's just, it's not worth you know, creating that stigma of this is now just becoming the place where like ex WWE people go who are a little bit older. Like, I, I don't know what they're really going to get out of him. I, I just don't. And, and part of me, and I don't know if, if you saw this tweet that I wrote, but I can't shake this feeling and I haven't read anything to this effect, but I would not be surprised. The feeling I have here is I think that was in the planning stages of whenever months ago, I think that was supposed to be edge. And That's I, interesting. And again, this is my own harebrained theory. I think it was supposed to be Edge. I think WWE made him the dream offer. We will give you this grand comeback. You'll main event WrestleMania. You'll, you, you know, we'll give you this giant, you know, push to convince him not to go. So he stays. And I think then the AEW like sort of almost snarky response is, well, OK, then we'll just sign Christian. You know, I, I just feel it in my bones. I, I, I mean, I, again, like I have no evidence of this whatsoever, but I, I just I just feel it. And I feel like maybe the hype behind it in their mind was almost like left over from the idea that it was originally going to be edge. Uh, I, I think a couple things. I, I, I'm not um, ready to go as, as far as you are in, in criticizing it for, for a couple of reasons. Uh, for one. We we don't know yet what his role will be, right? So if he's headlining the next pay per view, challenging for the for the world title, uh, then maybe some of this criticism uh, is valid, and maybe not. Depending, you know, maybe he's good enough um, to do that, you know, and, and certainly has uh, uh, some credibility and the resume uh, to be in the main events. Uh, but he is pushing fifty years old. But I I just don't know what his role is going to be yet. You know, if he is slotted. Kind of like what we see with Matt Hardy, where um, you're a an upper mid card player helping get over uh, new talent, and that that's not to say that he should be losing every week. I mean, to to establish that he is a big deal in the star, he he does need to win um, some matches and be positioned to to uh, win matches. Uh, but I'm willing to to wait and see what they do with him. He's a huge talent, right? I mean, th- th- this isn't signing, um, I don't know, pick your your Impact, you know, when, when Impact was building around Kevin Ash and Hulk Hogan and, and Scott Hall and, and, and these guys. This isn't that because, uh, and a little bit we saw of, of Christian at the Royal Rumble, he looked great, you know, and we know in his prime, he was a hell of a talent. So, uh, you know, if, if he can contribute, uh I think it's fine. I, I am willing to evaluate each of these on kind of a case by case basis. You know, you're right. It doesn't look great just coming off of Paul White and Sting. Um, but certainly th- there can be a, a role for each of them um, that helps the company. They could all contribute without uh, kind of overstepping. So uh, I'll wait and see. All that said, too, I wonder if it's one of these situations where, and I remember this happening uh, a lot over the years. I don't know if impact it would be, but sometimes the hype comes more from fans' expectations than anything that was actually said on TV. So as much was said was Paul White saying, you know, bringing in somebody who's a Hall of Fame-worthy talent, it's not like it was weeks and weeks and weeks of build-up. Who is it going to be? And, you know, mysterious promotional video packages or anything like that. Uh, but but fans kind of took it, speculated, and ran with it. And, you know, you get yourself all worked up. You know, is it CM Punk? Is it Okada? And then when it's Christian, it's a little bit of a letdown. But but really, how much did they say? I mean, I, I don't know that they did hype it that much. 
No, I, I guess they didn't. But, you know, clearly it was something that was designed to get people to buy the pay-per-view. I think that was part of it. It did feel a little like a bait and switch as such because you knew that it was otherwise, you know, especially the way they do business now, these big companies like they they'll just tell you flat out. You know what I mean? Like if it's if it's for a dynamite or a raw, especially WWE does this all the time, they'll just announce it ahead of time to try to drive people there. The fact that they didn't announce it makes me immediately think that they weren't confident to think it would be that big of a deal because it it. It's just not how it's usually done anymore, and and it just felt a little. Uh, that's why that's why I, I was theorizing about the edge thing because it felt like they had painted themselves into a corner, and they were just determined to go through with it anyway. Yeah, what do you do with Christian if you're uh, AEW? If you're Tony Khan, I I mean. I feel like it's it's a difference between what I would do and what I think they're going to do. Like, like, I'm worried that – I'm worried – like, first of all, I see uh, – and again, I may be uh, – I don't even want to say it because by the time this comes out, I may be proven wrong. But I get the sense that Jericho is going to be booted out of the, new, out of the uh, inner circle. And so I'm hoping that they're not thinking like he's going to be like the new, the new Jericho, you know, because they sort of have that – same kind of like, you know, they're really good at being like that, that obnoxious heel character. So I'm hoping they're not trying to like, in other words, what I'm trying to say is he shouldn't be in kind of a high profile position where people are having to, to put him over. I, I really think nobody wants to see that. I mean, especially maybe the first couple of times out, I think he really needs to be kind of in more of like, you know, the the job of getting other people over that's really where he's at right now that that's where he's at in my yeah. opinion because even though you know Jericho that wasn't his role I mean Jericho got the big push I mean he's probably getting the be- best push of his career but I feel like a Jericho is again my opinion a much better talent than Christian number one and I also feel like having done that with Jericho you don't want to just do it again with another aging WWE guy from the same era. Like, like, you know what I mean? It's been done. And that's when you start to enter that territory of having people roll their eyes. So I feel like even just by virtue of the fact that Jericho is where he's at, I feel like Christian needs to be a completely different animal. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I hadn't even thought about it, but, but I need to bring it up. I, I'd certainly be intrigued by seeing Christian uh, as a heel. I think he did his best work as a heel. Um, that that run that he had after Edge left, uh, and he was finally kind of elevated to uh, the main event uh, position and, and got the world title, and uh, he had that feud with Randy Orton. I thought he was terrific. I remember, uh, you know, kind of kind of doing a better job than than the Miz is doing these days as the the just chicken heel. Uh, I remember there was that match. I think it was at SummerSlam where the title could change hands on disqualification or something like that. And uh, he was trying to get Randy Orton riled up, so he ended up spitting in his face in the middle of the match, and yeah. he just lost. I, I thought that was terrific. So, uh, you know, I'm I, I I don't want to come off as a hypocrite. I've certainly been critical of uh, WWE pushing guys who were pushing fifty. Um, that said, I'm really intrigued by what Christian can contribute at this stage, and. Um, I'm not convinced that maybe he he doesn't deserve a role uh, at the very top. You know, I don't know. We'll see. You know, I, I, I get the frustration because it is a really young roster, uh, certainly relative to WWE, that some folks might uh, be upset seeing some of these old timers elevated um, uh, ahead of, uh, of a lot of these younger guys. But um, oh. if he earns it. I don't usually say that. I'm not usually one of the people that says it because I'm always thinking, you know, look, you you have to do what you feel is going to be right for business. And so in a lot of cases, that is what's right for business, whether whether a vocal group of fans likes it or not. I I feel like what they're doing with Brock Lesnar was good for business, for example. And a lot of people were complaining about that. But I, I and I but I feel like this is not that's what I'm saying. Like, what's the upside of this? It's not like. This is going to like create some dramatic change for them or like drive ratings or something. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I just I just don't see him that way. I feel like the downside is much bigger than the upside here. It's not like this is one of those cases where you go, don't listen to the vocal fans on Twitter because this is actually good for business. I just don't see it here. 
Yeah, yeah. And and I think an important point that you might be touching on is that, you know, frankly, Christian was never uh, a top, top guy, less so even than than Big Show. Right. right. And um, certainly less so than, than than Jericho. You could even argue less so than Matt Hardy. Uh, well, no, in, in no. WWE, Christian was a bigger deal. But I think Matt Hardy's probably uh, overall probably had uh does he have more of a career? I don't know. I mean, Christian's well, problem was that he was always the the lackey to Edge, right? I mean, you you kind of um, can't think of one without the other, you know. But at least he was world champion, right? He's got that. I don't think Matt Hardy was, right? I'm not mistaken. Uh, right? This is the whole other conversation we have to have here about what is a world champion, you know? Oh, right. Yeah. So, well, <laughs> okay. In WWE, he never. Yes. Yeah. And, and Christian did. But it was also the World Heavyweight Championship at a time where that belt didn't mean a whole lot. So, but you know what? They had the two world titles, and it was a world yes, title in WWE. Was, yes, he yeah. he was never. But you're right. He was never the top guy in the company at any point ever. No, no. Uh, so uh, going back a bit uh, to the the main event here, and um, be- before the show yesterday, I saw you shared on Facebook that absolutely insane match um, featuring, uh, uh, who is it? It's the Sheik and Sabu versus, yeah. who are the other two? It's the Sheik and Sabu versus uh, Atsushi Onita and Tarzan Goto. And at the time, they were the tag team champions of martial arts, uh, Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling, FMW, which is yeah. the promotion in Japan that basically invented the barbed wire uh, death match. Yeah. Yeah, and that was 96, right? 92. May 1992, okay. yes. And I yeah, only know these details. What's that? I didn't know that they were uh, even that far back still doing stuff like this. Yeah, and 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 I only know all the details because, again, it's part of the research for my book, Blood and Fire, the biography of the Sheik that I'm still, still, still writing. And it seems like it will never end, but it but <laughs> soon will be done. As you can tell, because I'm in the 1990s, I'm almost, you know, at the end of the Sheik's career and life. So there's not much more to go. But, yeah, I mean, they were doing – so FMW st- uh, started in 1989, and – um, Onita, who was originally like an all Japan junior heavyweight for, for giant Baba, like he was not, you know, a hardcore wrestling guy or anything, but his career got cut short because of injuries. So he couldn't do that style anymore. So he retired from all Japan. And then he came back a few years later at the end of the eighties and he, and he started this ultra violent promotion, but you know, he actually got the inspiration from things that he saw here in the United States because he, um, cause they weren't doing things like that in Japan. But when he was here, because you know, all those all Japan guys, they would always send them over to the U S to get like some American experience. So he passed through Memphis where they would do not exactly that, but like very violent kinds of what we'd now call hardcore matches, the things with barbed wire and stuff like that they would do. And also uh, Puerto Rico, the World Wrestling Council, Carlos Colon, they do, I mean, they're known for being insanely violent and having matches with fire in it. So so he took ideas from there, both places, Memphis and, and Puerto Rico, and he created, I think the, I think the explosives might have been his innovation. But I mean, the idea of barbed wire and replacing the ropes with barbed wire and then like wiring them all for explosives. The thing with the fire match, believe it or not, um, the one you're talking about that I tweeted about was it was basically because the C4 explosives are so expensive and this was very <laughs> low rent promotion. Uh, but yeah, but I mean, it, it, this so, so they said, OK, well, instead of just having all these expensive explosion uh, explosives, what if we just wrap the barbed wire in 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 cloth fabric soaked in kerosene, which is exactly what they did? And then we light the kerosene on fire. So now the ropes are on fire. And that was why. And that was the first time they ever did it. I don't think it's been done that many more times because they did almost die. I mean, they almost died, especially the Sheik. The Sheik was 65 years old. The guy could hardly get in the ring to begin with. Literally, they had to practically be carried in. And so the idea of having to hurry out of the ring because it's on fire um, was not really practical because you know that the, the match was outside okay so nobody thought about all this because it never been done so the match is outdoors there's a strong wind blowing the kerosene and fire from the ropes drips down onto the ring apron so next thing you know the ring apron's on fire 
the canvas is going on fire. Sabu, in his book, in his autobiography, wrote that he could see the barbed wire starting to glow red. Oh, like, my God. Like, like it was going to melt, like the ring was actually melting. They all start jumping through the barbed wire to get at, like to get out of the ring. They had to leap through flaming barbed wire and the sheet gets stuck in the ring. And, and, and he, they, they had to try to put out some of the fire, but they couldn't, it was just too crazy. And he wound up getting third degree burns on his back. Yeah. To the hospital. It, it, it's a true panic that you see yes. of the wrestlers grabbing buckets and throwing them at, at uh, the ring. Um, just absolutely insane. I'm guessing there was a whole lot of, uh, you know, dress rehearsals or, no. you know, uh, uh, working with the fire marshal or, or anything. It, it just looked um, just insane and, and completely irresponsible. It, it's an inferno in the ring. I mean, it's not like those controlled burns that you've seen on when WWE's done, you know, the inferno matches or anything like that. Uh, it's just the, the ring is on fire, you know, yeah, and, the heat inside it. Again, you know, and Sabu talks about it like it was like they were being cooked. You know, I mean, yeah, like I can imagine yeah. in the yeah. ring. You can't even imagine it was probably getting close to like 200 degrees. I mean, no joke. And and talk about fire marshal. I mean, they had 5000 fans there that they had to evacuate. And then by the time the, the fire department showed up, apparently, like it was just the whole ring just burned to a cinder. Like there was wow. nothing left. It was just a pile of. Just like twisted metal and and ashes, basically. That could have been so much worse. I mean, um, all the ingredients were there for a true, true tragedy. It's incredible that that um, they got away with as much as they did. And uh, they, the the sheet continues the match outside, throws a fireball. I mean, they just kind of carry <laughs> on at some point. It, it's uh, just the damnedest thing I've ever seen. I think they just didn't know what to do at that point. Yeah. Like they they waved off the match in the ring. Now they're outside the ring, and you have to think like, yeah, you're right. He's the sheik's like throwing multiple fireballs, <laughs> while his back must just be basically like cooked meat. Yeah, and, and he's you know, and and they're just trying to just get out of it somehow because they also they you know look it's the time they don't want to break kayfabe they don't want to break character like if it was today you know everything would have stopped you know what i mean like absolutely oh, yeah. everything everybody would have dropped character they would have just done whatever they had to do these guys are still in character especially the sheik and sabu too as well i mean they're still like selling the match selling the because they do not want to reveal right that what you're watching is a you know choreographed show like like they will die i mean literally oh. they will die rather than reveal that secret and that match proves it yeah here's a a question i don't know if you know the answer to this you have any sense what uh, a sheik would have been paid for uh, a match like that actually i have more than a sense I, oh I really can, i can tell you the exact number i'm uh, thinking what makes that worth it for a guy well, his age how about ten thousand dollars oh wow per yeah. per appearance so yeah I, I didn't believe that number when i first saw it i had to like double check it triple check it i kept going to, maybe they meant like ten thousand dollars a week or what it was no, you 10, know that's 000. something you know it, it today it doesn't sound like a whole lot but but uh if if you're working per match back then ten thousand dollars is, is a good payday you know? It is because um, he, like, for example, like in 1992, which is the year that happened, he made 35 appearances for FMW. So oh. that's $350,000 oh. that really he brought home from Japan at a time when he was, you know, financially struggling. His promotion had been long out of business. He had tax problems. He had all kinds of issues. He needed money. They were going to foreclose on his house. And it saved him. And you look at it and you go, okay, a 65-year-old man with two replaced hips and, like, he could barely walk. And you're going, my God, why is he doing this to himself? And then you stop and go, like, that's really hard money to say no to. I mean, I have to say, that is hard. And not only that, but you're talking – it's not like he's going out there and he's having, like, a 60-minute match with Ric Flair. Like, he's doing three-minute matches, four minutes, sometimes a minute he comes out. It's a quick DQ. He throws a fireball. You know, there, he he blades just in and out, hardly moves. A lot of them were tag team matches where, in fact, 90% of them were tag team matches where Sabu 
is doing everything. He's flipping and flying all over the place. And the Sheik is just, you know, scaring children at ringside, yeah. basically. And and you 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 make ten thousand dollars every time you do that. I mean, I don't know. I I'd yeah. be doing it too at sixty five. Yeah, uh, was was FMW bringing in money uh, like that to to be able to pay these guys that? That's something that really baffled me, and it's why I had to double check and triple check the numbers because I'm just going, okay, this is. Uh, I would say they were not really like the ECW of Japan. I think they were bigger than ECW. I mean, they did. They just didn't have television. That's the thing. They didn't have a TV show. So it was just a live event company. But they would do uh, like stadium shows. That yeah. They were packing them in. So I'm thinking they probably were making a lot of money doing those big shows. And also when I'm looking at the talent roster they had, like they basically had a lot of young up and coming Japanese and American talent, people that weren't really known yet. And combined with sort of over the hill American guys that the Japanese fans would know. Like they had the Sheik, they had Terry Funk, they had Tiger Jeet Singh, and like, and then like a bunch of of young kids. So that's pro- they probably kept their overhead relatively low. Like I'm thinking those three guys were probably making more money combined than everybody else on the on the whole talent roster combined. So yeah, maybe that's yeah. Funny. And and I mean, you'd think that that would have been their last show just because of how horribly that ended. But they kept on putting on shows. Uh, for years and kind of created the blueprint for for um, the match that we saw uh, last night. And and uh, so I was watching a lot of those this morning. Onita, I think, is in all of them. Uh, who else is in some of the Terry Funks and uh, yeah. was involved in them? Sabu, uh, Hayabusa. And uh, some were uh, almost exactly what, what we got last night. It was uh, our barbed wire ropes and um, uh, explosive charges on them. But man, did they deliver. I saw the uh, one which was, it was Hayabusa and uh, Anita in a cage. And uh, you see the inspiration there. There's a countdown timer. Then there's like the the air raid siren. They count down. But at the end of that countdown, I mean, it's it was really something. It was a, a legit explosion. Um, you know, I can't imagine that that was safe or a good idea or anything like that. But um, a real spectacle. I could I could see the appeal uh but you know on that point in in 2021 do you think it's a good idea to still still be doing uh, stuff like this do you think that there is um a a market for it a a uh, a desire for it a hunger for it from fans beyond a kind of one off um sort of novelty uh you know it's not to say should last night's exploding barbed wire death match uh, be the last one that we see for the foreseeable future? Well, it, I mean, it's the only one that's ever been done on American television. Never. I'm, I mean, I don't know about, I'm sure there have been indies in America that have tried it, but it's, it's ECW, never... uh, did something uh, like this sometimes. Uh, a lot of them were, I guess, a lot of there's a lot. I, I watched uh, one earlier today. It was Vic Grimes and balls Mahoney. And, uh, it was an exploding barbed wire board match. So they, they had a couple of boards, like what you saw in the match last night, and they they took some bumps onto them. One was a dud, didn't go off at all. The other one went off, but it wasn't very much. I mean, there was a little smoke that popped up. So they've been kind of attempted. I wouldn't want to see it all the time. And honestly, I don't think anybody would. I mean, I don't think anybody would want to just see AEW all of a sudden become this company that does matches like that regularly. That would be nuts. But um, I would say I would say if they broke it out once in a while, like I, I wouldn't have a problem with it if it became. Look, here's the thing. WWE will, you know, again, I know WWE is going to make fun of the sparklers and everything. But taking that out of the equation, a match like what we saw last night, it puts them to shame. It makes them seem yeah. like a bunch of posers because they'll be like hell in the cell, elimination chamber and the great unforgiving steel and blah, blah, blah. and and everybody's fine and nobody looks like they're really getting hurt. And you see this and this match delivers on what those other matches are sort of teasing you with, but never actually happens. So I wouldn't mind it if a match like this, maybe I'm bloodthirsty, but if this became like their hell in the cell where they do it once a year, I'd be all on board for that. It's It's got to be uh, the right circumstances, the right feud. Um, you know, we, yeah. we criticize rightfully so. 
that WWE does these just by a date on the calendar and not doesn't kind of organically arrive at them because of a, a storyline. Uh, but you know what? Again, the, the one thing I keep going back to, because I understand why WWE is squeamish about blood. Um, but I, I feel like in 2021, you could get to the same end results uh, by using all kinds of gimmickry, you know, like I, uh, uh, my kids gotten really into horror movies. So we've been watching a lot of horror movies, uh, as of late. And, and the one thing that jumps out of me in, uh, a lot of modern horror movies is that, uh, even the, the blood isn't real, right? So it's, it's, a digital, uh, post-production. So somebody will, you know, cut somebody's head off and then you see the blood spurt all over the place and, um, they're not practical effects. It's just all added in later. It's all, you know, uh, computer stuff. Uh, often it doesn't look great. Uh, and, and I'm not saying that you got to do that, but the, the point being to show blood in a match in 2021 shouldn't require somebody cutting their head open anymore. There's, there's gotta be all kinds of ways that you get there. Um, whether it's blood, I, I don't understand why they don't more often just do the old blood capsule in the mouth, right? So, uh, uh some blood coming out of somebody's mouth. Uh, is something maybe it doesn't look as good as it pouring out of somebody's head, but it it communicates, uh, you know, trauma, right? That 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 somebody, you know, think about if those those awful um, uh, sledgehammer shots that Triple H used to deliver all the time, uh, if they were followed up by somebody bleeding out the mouth because of the internal injuries that they suffered, that would go a long way, I would think. So I don't yeah. know why WWE doesn't do uh, more of that because I get that you know bleeding is a pretty barbaric. Uh, a kind of process and and i'm not a huge i i, I but yeah th- there there's got to be some middle ground right and i do think wwe um that's one place that aw has got them beat i think they know that wwe that's why they they've been critical of it right was it was a vince fan that, that early on called with blood and guts uh, a promotion and uh i do think aw has got to be careful i remember by the time that they did that first lights out match between Omega and uh, Moxley, uh, they had just done another lights out match weeks before that with Moxley and uh, what's his name, Joey Janela, uh, and I think it was on on Dark, right? And there was a lot of that, and I thought they needed to pull back, and they kind of had pulled back. So um, I think there was more of tolerance for this kind of thing but then they did omega and and uh, kenny kingston uh or uh, uh, moxley and kenny kingston not long ago and that had some gore so you know uh they do have to it almost felt like a rib you know like that that omega uh challenges moxley you know coming off of that and, and the story with that first match was that that was omega's idea and a lot of people kind of looked at at moxley because it felt more like a a moxley match knowing his his background um in czw and all that uh but it was apparently omega's idea and i heard i guess this one was as well so it almost feels like omega's ripping moxley with challenging him to these these matches it's interesting because you could always tell the guys that are a little more kind of like hesitant with blood and everything and it was clear that omega's one of those guys watching that like moxley was completely in his element and you can tell i mean at least i could tell anyway that Omega was a, a bit uncomfortable, I feel like, being in a match like that. Like, there were times where the selling was... I mean, granted, both of those guys are not having a great time physically. But you could tell he, a lot of that was not really selling. Whereas Moxley was re- really was knowing how to sell it. Where It seemed to me Omega was just more like, holy crap, like, what, how, what am I doing in here? You know, kind of a vibe I was getting from him. But I feel like... Um, the, the the blood and guts thing, I mean, look, um, WWE doesn't do it anymore, and I understand it. It's the blood thing is a weird throwback in wrestling. It is the and the blading because it goes back to this time when they really truly were trying their very, very best to make fans believe that what they were watching was real. And it was the ultimate way of saying look at this this man is really bleeding are you going to tell me this is fake look at this guy's head look at the blood coming out yeah like that's where it came from and that in and of itself is a little bit passe right because they're performing in front of an entire crowd where 99.9 percent of everyone there knows that what they're watching is a show they're completely okay with it they're having a good time 
and they still feel the need to be like, look, this man is bleeding. This man is bleeding. And, and it does feel like, uh, yeah, like a throwback. I mean, I don't know. There's just something about it. I still, maybe it's because I grew up with it. It just adds to the excitement. There's just something about the danger of it. Uh, I, yeah. You know, like, like you're watching something that's unlike anything else. There's no form of entertainment where people actually cut themselves. It's really unique. Um I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I guess I'm a little bloodthirsty. I don't know. But I do get the hesitation. I absolutely get it. It, it, it certainly is a throwback practice for sure. Yeah, you're, you're right. And that's the one thing that that obviously uh, blood capsules or, or smoke and mirror special effects doesn't capture. And that is the, the true danger. Um, and that's what came through in last night's match. Unlike any mainstream match I've seen in, in a long time. Um, was when, you know, uh, Moxley is, is wrapping the barbed wire around his arm, uh, just knowing that he's really doing that, right? Yeah. And maybe you know better than I do some of this. You know, is there smoke and mirrors gimmickry there, or is he basically wrapping barbed wire around his arm? Well, I mean, in that particular match, there there wasn't. I mean, you, you, I'm, I'm watching it with my eyes. He's, you can see his he's arm. He's getting cut, yeah. I mean, as he's putting it on, you up. see it cutting him, yeah. You see the blood and and just the arm kind of squeezing red like you you can see it with your eyes. That is not um, a gimmick. I mean, he's really doing it. I don't know how people do that, man. <laughs> I really, and, that, I think, and, and, and that's the, the 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 kind of wonderment that you get from a match like that that you you don't get any other way. Is while you're you're watching it and you're uh, into the story and trying to follow what the next big spot is or who's going to win. There's also um, I don't know if it's enjoyment, but but kind of consuming the match with that that kind of sense of how could these guys be doing this to themselves you know like this is crazy that that uh, guys would willingly do this the craziest thing about it is you think like only in wrestling would they be like okay uh we have a guy you know one of our performers he has to kind of go on leave he's having a baby and you know he's gonna (laughs) be home with his wife so we are gonna wrap him in barbed wire, have the ring explode, just have him falling into explosions and just rubbing a barbed wire, you know, bat across his forehead, which also, by the way, was just a hundred percent hard way. Like we're going to do that so that he could take some time off to be with his family. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, uh, and I do think that, that there is some, uh, value or, or it, it does kind of put them on a different pedestal in terms of trying to make them feel like they're special, they're stars, uh, because normal people don't do that. Right. I mean, I just think about like, um, if, if you ever have to like, uh, put on a safety pin on your clothes or something <laughs> like that, like the lengths you go to make sure that you're not pricked by the, the safety pin. Uh, I can't deal with a paper. <laughs> just... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was digging through a, a toolbox the other day looking for something and there was a loose razor blade in there and just nicked my finger a little bit. And it's like, you got to drop everything and go, you know, get, get the, uh, the rubbing alcohol or the bandage and all that. And these guys are just playing in barbed wire. Um, it, it's just insane. And, uh, you're right. I mean, I think, uh, uh back in the day, certainly in the eighties and the nineties, there was more kind of awe about that, and it was absolutely a selling point. And the magazine we both write for, I mean, how, how much um, of, of their business back in, in the 80s and 70s was uh, having those really bloody shots on the cover, whether it was Carlos Colon or Freddie Blassie, um, you know. Uh, so that was, you know, it, it's all to say that it is a a big part of the legacy of pro wrestling, something that um, has kind of whittled away over the last several years, uh, in large part because WWE has has tried to make it more uh, family friendly. And I again, I, I get why they do it, but uh, I do have to say that that um, I, I do think even in 2021, and you gotta be careful how you break it out. I mean, that's what ECW um, lost after a while, and I remember going. Uh, after and, and during the the ECW craze, but when kind of they were past their peak and you're getting into like the late 90s, early 2000s, and every indie just became garbage wrestling. And I remember going to like my local uh, firehouse to see an indie show and it's just guys in terrible shape. It's like your local plumber or whatever. And they're just hitting each other with the light tubes and stuff like that. And it meant nothing anymore, right? I mean, right. It, uh, uh, but something like this, and, and I, I think even more so because it 
it wasn't um, those garbage wrestlers who who didn't bring anything to the table. But in in Moxley and Omega, you're talking, you know, arguably the number one, number two best wrestlers in in the country right now. I mean, guys who are absolutely elite at the top of their craft, and they were able to take um, this this gimmick and really elevate the match. Uh, and, you know, you know, and it kind of going full circle makes it that much more of a shame that what we remember out of it was the, uh, the sparklers at the end or the Roman candles, as you call them. I know. Yes, I know. It's, it's a shame. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, we've been talking a long time for this. I appreciate it. Uh, Brian, this is uh, a lot of fun. Uh, we will be, uh, back soon. I guess we've got, uh, fast lane around the corner. We'll see what comes out of that. And, uh, uh, we'll talk about what's next on the road to WrestleMania. All right. All right. Thanks, Brian.